All right. Um, we're going to go on a bit of a journey this morning that is going to end with a lot of encouragement, a lot of hope, and I believe it's also going to end in some life-changing shifts in the way you see God, the way you see Jesus, pers your perspective on Him. But I do on the front end want to give you a heads up. It's going to be a bit of a sobering journey to get there. Um, but if you hang with me, I know that God is going to speak to you in, um, in, some, in some powerful ways. Um, there was a poll recently where the question was asked, if you could ask God only one question and you knew he would give you an answer, what would you ask him? I wonder today, what would that question be that you would ask God? If you could ask God one question and you knew that he was going to give you the, the answer to that one question, what is the question that, that you would ask God? And it's interesting in this poll, the majority of people weren't interested in finding out how to make a million dollars. They weren't interested in, in, in knowing who killed Biggie and Tupac. Um, they weren't interested in knowing if there was life on Mars. They weren't interested in knowing um, how the world began or what heaven is like. The majority of people polled in this, this poll um, had the most common question that people would ask God is this. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? It's the big question, isn't it? Or as some people have put it, it's actually not just the big question, it's the big problem. How can you have a, a good, all-powerful God and at the same time have a world that has, has pain and suffering? Why doesn't God do something about it? Why doesn't he, why doesn't he step in? Um, a pastor up in Surrey, B.C., just across the border, his name is Mark Clark, he wrote a book recently that, that has uh, just had a pretty significant impact, and he called the book The Problem of God. And in this book, he talked about how suffering really has three kinds of different components. It's personal, it's biblical, and it's universal. So it's personal in that it's not just some kind of philosophical debate to be argued about, to be de debated in lecture halls. No, suffering is deeply, deeply personal, isn't it? Every single one of us has experienced suffering in some, some way. Loved ones have passed away, divorce happens, suicide happens— Adultery, addiction, abandonment, on and on we could go. It's, it's, it's deeply personal. Um, I, re I was thinking back just as I was preparing this when the first time was that I, can, as, that I can remember experiencing suffering of some kind. And I remember all the way back to, it was either first or second grade, but my teacher just embarrassed and humiliated me in front of the whole class. Um, in high school, um, I had a friend instantly die. He was riding in the back of a pickup truck, coming back from tubing on the river, and the, the pickup truck crashed and threw him over 200 feet. He instantly died. Um, then in high school, just the rejection that I had to deal with, to the point where I just remember thinking, I wish I'd never been born. Um, three years into my first pastoral job, I had my closest group of friends. It felt like a betrayal as they left in a church split that we had. Becky and I know the pain of losing a child through miscarriage. When our son Ethan was three weeks old, um, he, we would have lost him. He was in ICU for 10 days, but by the grace of God, he just, he just, his life was barely spared. But suffering is personal. It hits all of us, all of us in some, some way. And it's just not some debate out there. No, it's, it hits you right here. And it's also biblical. You know, one of the things I love about the Bible is that it doesn't ever make attempts to kind of gloss over pain and suffering. The writers of, of Scripture are actually constantly wrestling with this tension between God's goodness 
and the pain and the suffering that, that we see in this world. David writes in Psalm 22, he says, do not be far from me for trouble is near and there's no one to help. And then shortly after, declares, for God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. So there's, there's this tension. The writer is suff suffering. Trouble is near, but God is listening. He, he's present. And then, of course, there's the story of Job, right? Like, here's this guy, Job, who Scripture says, it's like he's done everything right in life. The Bible describes him as being blameless before God. He's just this massive success story. He's got all kinds of wealth, awesome family. And then what happens to this hardworking, God-fearing man? All of his children are killed in a natural disaster. His wealth is all stolen. And as if that wasn't enough, his body gets afflicted from head to toe, Bible says, with these miserable, painful boils. Suffering is personal, it's biblical, and it's also universal. Whether you live in a first world country, whether you live in a third world country, whether you are rich or poor, whether you come from a, a, a highly functioning, functioning, got it together family or a highly dysfunctional family, we all experience suffering in one way or another. In fact, it doesn't matter if you are the most atheistic person on the planet or the most devoted follower of Jesus, you will experience suffering. In fact, a lot of people have given their lives to Christ and they, they are, are shocked when after they've given their lives to Christ, they encounter pain and suffering in, in some way. And, and some, for some reason, they, they, they surrendered to Jesus and maybe it was somebody just kind of sugarcoated it and made it out to be something that it wasn't, that it actually isn't. But for some reason, they thought that, that following Jesus was going to have, a, was going to mean a life free of suffering. But it just isn't the case. The idea that Christians won't suffer actually makes no sense whatsoever when you consider that, that our, our founder suffered in the most horrific way. Suffering is personal, it's biblical, and it's, it's also uni universal. And when it comes to the, the tension between pain and suffering and the existence of God, you know, like, like most questions out there, there's usually when there's somebody asks you a question, a lot of times there's that question that's underneath the question. And it's the same thing with this question of, of pain and suffering in God. And, and uh, the deeper question, though, is this. Is God good? Is God good? When I open that news site on my device and I see bodies of Ukrainian women lying in the street or when I, I hear of the loneliness of someone who's lost their spouse or, or I see abject poverty or I hear of parents abandoning their kids, ask that question. Like, is, is God really good? And how you answer that question, it will actually determine how well you're able to endure suffering. You see, back in the very beginning, God creates the world creates Adam and Eve, and what does he say? He's, after he's done creating everything, he says, he looks around at all that he's made, and he says, it's, it's very good. Not just good, it's very good. But then almost immediately after that, just in the third chapter of the Bible, all of a sudden, God is faced with the problem of, of evil. The devil gets Adam and Eve to, to question the goodness of God. It started them questioning, and, and then it quickly escalated into them asking, and then, then actually acting on their doubt. They bite the apple, sin enters the world, along with pain and suffering. And in that moment, 
God has a choice in that moment. He can either turn Adam and Eve into robot-like creatures who have no choice but to obey him, or God can do what's good. He can give them a choice. They can decide to love him and trust him, or they can choose to turn their backs on him. Of course, he gives us what's good. He's not after robots who have no choice but to love him, who have no choice but to trust him and to follow him. He is after what? He, from the beginning of time, he's after loving relationship. Well, Rich, there's one more option. He can just, he can force them to love him. Well, actually he can't because there is forced or compelled love by definition is not love. You just can't force someone to love you because that's that that would go against the very nature of love. So God in, the, in Genesis 3 does the right thing, the good thing. He gives you and me the freedom to choose. And as a result, it also unleashes a world of pain and suffering. And we won't know all the reasons why there's pain and suffering in this life. But a big reason might just be that God chose in that moment, he chose the greater good. And does he stop there? No, because God is good, because, because God loves us, he keeps on doing what is good, and rather than abandon us in our sin, rather than leave us to suffer the consequences, God in his love, in his mercy, in his goodness, he pursues us. He doesn't leave us. And what we're going to see this morning is the, the radical nature of our God, when, in that he, he, he doesn't just pursue us in our sin and brokenness. He demonstrates that in his goodness, he's willing to do anything short of sin in order to win back our hearts and set us free. In fact, he's even willing to go through immense suffering himself. You see, the, the, the problem of pain and suffering is answered in the person of Jesus. And what separates Christianity from all the other religions out there is that the God of Christianity doesn't ignore pain and suffering. He doesn't distance himself from pain and suffering. No, instead, he chooses to experience it, to immerse himself in it. He suffers with us, and he suffers for us. And this morning, what I want to do, so that was a, a big, long introduction set up to where we're going to be diving into Scripture this morning. And I want to read a passage this morning that actually, that, that shines a spotlight on the suffering of Jesus. Interestingly enough, this passage was actually written down 500 years before Christ even walked this earth. It's what we call a prophetic text in that it prophesies or it predicts the future and the accuracy with which this text in particular, there's a bunch of texts in the Old Testament, Jesus, um, but the accuracy in which this one predicts Jesus and what he went through is a very, very, very powerful piece of evidence to the authenticity of Christ. But if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 53, and we're going to be starting in verse 1. It says this, Who has believed our message? To whom has the, the Lord revealed his powerful arm. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root out of, uh, sorry, like a root in dry ground. So there's this plant imagery here, and this plant imagery is actually very, very purposeful. Notice it doesn't say that he grew up like a large, stately oak tree. No, he grew up like a tender shoot, a root in dry ground. 
And if you've ever paid attention at Christmas, you, you kind of know what this is speaking to. He's, he suffered from day one. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a stable. He was raised under the, under the dark cloud of scandal. His, his mom um, becoming pregnant with him before she was married, which in that culture was reason to be completely ostracized from society. Further, he wasn't raised in a, a stable environment where dad and mom were anchored in a community and had a huge network of support. No, he was actually raised as a fugitive, a family on the run from a king intent on murdering Jesus. And if you were raised in an unsteady, turbulent home environment, guess what? Jesus knows, because he's been there. Scripture goes on to say that there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. We've talked a lot in this series about the pictures that you see that someone, somebody came up with. It's interesting to me how a lot of these pictures have Jesus as just this tall, handsome guy with the long, flowy hair and all that kind of stuff. And they make him out to be this incredibly handsome man. The movies portray him with this bigger-than-life personality. Well, according to this, the Bible goes on to say he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way, and he was despised, and we did not care. And here, so here we see that, that people despised him. And to despise somebody is to have utter contempt, disdain for that person. If you've ever been on the receiving end of that kind of treatment, maybe, maybe it was racial discrimination, maybe it was an ex who turned on you, maybe it was a parent who just never loved you the way that, that you should have been loved as a young child— Guess what? Jesus knows. He was despised. He was rejected. He had neighbors laugh at him. His own family questioned his sanity. His closest friends betrayed him. And on top of that rejection, rejection the Bible says he also knew deep, deep grief. His close cousin was unjustly executed. He lost a good friend. He carried the grief that came with knowing that his people were going to actually turn their backs on him and walk away. He had the grief of losing all of his followers when he, he, he went to the cross. They just, they, they ran away. And then the Bible says, says this. It says, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. And I don't know how you imagine God to be, but if you imagine him to be this unmoving, uncaring, unfeeling, detached cosmic force in the sky who doesn't have a clue what goes on in the real world, you would have a wrong picture of who God really is. He isn't just raised in a turbulent environment. He doesn't just suffer rejection and being despised and suffer, suffer deep sorrow. 
No, he suffers in the most horrible of ways by being led like a lamb to the slaughter at the cross, this excruciating pain, not only on a physical level, but also on this emotional, mental level. As he's hanging there on the cross, he has all the the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. And in that moment, the the Bible says the Father, the Heavenly Father turns his face away from Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus does not have some kind of trite sort of fake phony prayer about the hardships of life and about the joys and just how he's grateful that he gets to suffer for his father's sake. No, in that moment, he has this raw, brutal honesty, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And if you've been asking God where he is in the midst of your pain and suffering, you don't need to ask that question anymore. He's answered it once and for all, and the answer is that he is right in the middle of it with you. He's with you. He knows he is with you. And from the life of Jesus, we can learn how to suffer well, and, and no matter what kind of suffering it is that you're going through, there's, there's, there's some ways to suffer like Jesus. And I want to give you three things this morning. The first is this. To suffer like Jesus is to embrace and honor the call to suffer. Jesus, he knew all along that he would suffer and die on a cross. It was no surprise to Jesus. It's not like as his life began to progress and he started to see the, 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 the opposition and the hatred and the venom that he was facing. It's not like that caught him by surprise. No, he knew. And yet, amazingly enough, there is no indication of him ever resisting it. The closest that he ever came was in Gethsemane where he says, my, uh, he says, he prays out to his father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. But then in the very next breath, what does he say? He says, not my will, but, but yours be done. And towards the end of his time on earth, the Bible says, says this. It says, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. He, he knew he had to go. And so here we are today. Today is Palm Sunday, and it's the day that we remember where Jesus rides into Jerusalem on that donkey, and he rode in. You got to know this. He, he rode in knowing full well that the same people who were welcoming, welcoming him with shouts of Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the, in the name of the Lord, those same people were just several days later going to be crying out crucify him and yet he embraced this call on his life to suffer and it's it's an unnatural response to suffering isn't it it's just not natural to embrace it we want to fight it we want to resist it we just seem to be hardwired you and me we're hardwired for comfort we're hardwired for safety we're hardwired to just want the easy life aren't we But not Jesus. He embraced it. He knew that something bigger was going on. And as he embraces his suffering, Peter initially comes along and he rebukes him in that famous scene. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And, but then after the cross, after the resurrection, Peter actually begins to understand this, this call to to suffering that we have. And, And listen to what he writes to the church. He says, this is the kind of life that you've been invited into the kind of Christ, our life Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. It's this life that you and I have been invited into. But then it's not just embracing the suffering. 
It's honoring or valuing the suffering because we know that it's making us into something. We know that it's accomplishing some greater work. We know that there's a bigger story being written. We know that, like Romans 8, 28 says, that all things God is working together for the good of those that love him, love him and are called according to his purpose. And so we don't just embrace the struggle. We don't just embrace the suffering. We, we even honor it. Well, what, Rich, do you mean by honoring the call to suffer? Well, you know, it's interesting when you listen to people who are, who have goals around getting physical, physically fit. Maybe they just decide that one day they're like, I'm going to get in shape. Or maybe the doctor comes along and says, hey, it's time to get in shape for the sake of your health. And if you listen to people, they usually will approach getting physically fit from, from one of two different angles. There's one group that will go, um, they, they see the long hours in the gym. They, they, they see the aches and the pain of sore muscles. And rather than honor and value them, they despise them. All they do is they just complain, complain, complain about the pain and complain, complain, complain about the hard work and the aches and all this kind of stuff. And you know what I'm talking about because I, I hear the chuckles out there. But the other camp... The other camp, the ones who actually usually end up accomplishing their fitness goals, they see it differently. They honor the struggle. They know that if they're going to reach the mountaintop, that they're going to have to suffer the agony of aching lungs. They know they're going to have to suffer the agony of, of, of sore muscles, back-breaking training. And, and if you listen closely, they'll even sometimes brag about the pain and the suffering. You know, it's the same thing with people who have a dream job, right? It's that, that high school student, they know where they're going to get one day. And so rather than despise the hard work and the homework and the hours and hours they got to put in, they actually honor it. They respect it because they know that one day it's going to get them that goal if they just keep on working. Can I get an amen from all the parents in the room today? <laughs> they honor the struggle because of where it'll land them. It's like Russell Wilson, no time to sleep. It's like a badge of honor, right? Too soon? Today? Yeah, okay. You're like looking at me. Don't bring that guy up. Too soon. But, but your suffering, your struggle is, listen, it's making you into some, somebody. It's making you into a person of deep character. It's, the, it's like that refiner's fire that is painful, but it's the refiner's fi fire that makes the gold pure. Suffering works the same way. We can either just outright despise it or we can embrace it and honor it and go, God, I don't exactly know what's happening here, but, but I trust you enough to, to, to walk through this with you. And, and next, to suffer like Jesus is to keep your eyes on the prize. To keep your eyes on the prize. You know, I have a, I have a certain level of, of pity for the suffering of the atheist. Because whether you believe in God or not, you will suffer in this life. But for the person who does not believe in God, it's suffering entirely without meaning. There's no meaning whatsoever. But, but, I don't, but it is interesting how even the atheists, when they, when they click on the, 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 the shots in the, the video of Ukraine, or they hear about students being gunned down in schools, even the atheists will say things like, my thoughts and prayers are, are with you. Why? Because the alternative that it's all for nothing is just too sad and depressing of a thought to have. It's just empty. 
And, and for the follower of Jesus, you've you got to understand this. There is always, always meaning to your suffering. Always. It's never in vain. Even if you don't learn what the purpose is in this lifetime, as, as one pastor, a guy named Ray Dirksen says, that in itself is one of the purposes. God is growing trust and faith in the saint, he says. One of these days, I'd, I'd love to do a full sermon on the purposes of our suffering because there's actually many, many reasons why, why suffering happens. There's many purposes for it. But let me just give you a few this morning. Um, one of the, the, the meanings and purposes of suffering is to bring us to repentance. Now, let's just be honest today. Sometimes we suffer, and that suffering is just all, it's all our own doing. God has his way to live this life that's going to bring joy, and it's going to bring life and life to the full. And we say, forget your way, God. We're like Adam and Eve in the garden. We're like, we don't trust you. We think you're holding out on us. We're not going to do life your way. We're going to do life our way. And that way will eventually lead you to some pain and suffering, and God will work through that to bring you to repentance and bring you back on the, the right path, the path that's going to lead you to life and life to the full. Sometimes it's to bring us to repentance. Other times, pain and suffering is so that we learn to depend on God. Paul, the apostle in the Bible, he talks about some of the great suffering that he had to endure. And this guy went to, through all kinds of suffering, even to the point of death several times. And listen to how he describes his suffering. He says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He learns to depend on God. Another reason is to magnify the glory and goodness of Jesus. You know, one of the most powerful testimonies that somebody can have is when they're going through something really challenging and difficult in life, and in that moment, they still go, God is good. I trust him. I worship him because of, because of who he is. And they don't do it in a flaky way that glosses over the pain of suffering, but in this kind of sincere, genuine way. And you've been around people like this, right? They've lost somebody. Um, it's, they're going through something really hard. And yet in the middle of that, in the middle of the struggle, they still say, I'm, God is everything. Jesus is everything. And what does that do? It magnifies the glory and goodness of Jesus. Another reason for suffering is to reveal to us that God is enough. Corey Tin Boom was a, a lady who suffered more in this life than most of us ever will. She, she was a uh, lady who lived to tell of her experience in a, in a Nazi concentration camp and just the horrors that she went through. And, and on the other side of that, she famously said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And in the depths of her pain, in the depths of her suffering, she learned that Jesus is enough. Your suffering has meaning. Jesus knew that his suffering would, would mean the salvation of many, many souls. I mean, you and I would not be here today except for the suffering of Jesus. There is a crown that awaits you, a prize, and to suffer well is to not, is to not take your eyes off that, that prize. And then lastly, to suffer like Jesus is to suffer in hope. To suffer in hope. The verses that we read from Isaiah 53, they, they start with the suffering of Jesus and just unpacking the, the depths that he went through, but they, they end with the hope of Jesus. Isaiah prophesies in, in Isaiah 53, 11, he says, and because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many, you and I, 
to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. In the early church, the, the apostles didn't just preach Jesus crucified. They actually preached Jesus crucified and risen because there's hope, so much hope. Because of Jesus and all he's done, all he suffered, we too can suffer in hope. We don't suffer in despair as though it's our meaningless lot in life. We suffer in hope, knowing that God is for us, knowing that God is with us, knowing that he understands what we're going through, knowing that he's working everything together for, for our good, and knowing that he will provide all the hope and all the strength that we need to get through to the other side. This is the God we serve. This is the God we serve. And, and I hope that today, no matter what it is that you're going through, no matter what it is that you're facing, no matter what it is that you're going to face one day, you know that, that, that God is for you. You know that he's a God who understands exactly what you, you've been through. The Bible talks about how when we go to God in prayer, that we don't approach a God who does not understand, but we know, one, we know a God who, who, who knows exactly what it is that we're going through because as we read this morning, he, he suffered. He knew what pain was like. And this morning, what we're gonna do to wrap up our time together, you might have seen as you came in this morning that we have communion set up here at the front of the church. And I'm gonna ask the worship team if, if they could come up at this time. And we're gonna give you an opportunity today to reflect on all that Jesus has done. What he's done for you through the cross what his pain and suffering accomplished for us. Like scripture says, it was, it was the, the, the punishment that he, he faced, all, all that he endured was, was to bear our sins. It was because of what we had done. And so this morning, as we reflect on the cross, I'm gonna invite you to take part in communion. The, the worship team is gonna lead us in a song. But I don't, I don't want you this morning just to, to go through this as just a religious exercise you know, something that you do just because that's what church people do. But I invite you to actually encounter Jesus this morning and, and whatever it is that you're going through, just to thank him that he's gone before you, to thank him that, that, that he has, has made a way so that whatever it is that you're going through, you can suffer in hope. You can have hope. You can have peace. You can have just a sense of knowing that he is working through this for, for your good. So we're going to look to Jesus, and as we do, just be encouraged. There is hope. Before we do this, I want to read this scripture verse found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It talks about what Jesus suffered and what that means for you and I in our suffering. It says this. It says, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. It's that purpose. It's that meaning. As we suffer, somehow we're connected to what Jesus suffered. And somehow through that, life comes. The life of Jesus grows and flourishes in us. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying 
our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. And, and here's why, maybe what you're going through, you're like, I take offense to that, Rich, because it does not seem small. It seems massive what, what I'm going through right now. Well, 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 here's what Scripture goes on to say. It's actually all about perspective. And the Bible says that, that it won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that this morning you are speaking to us. And God, I know this morning that you want to encourage us through this. Lord, it is sobering to look at the the depths of suffering that you endured. God, it's even, it's sobering for us to even address suffering. It's easy just to push it aside and try to ignore it, but God, we all know it to be true. This life has suffering. In fact, you promised that you said in this world, you will have trouble. God, suffering happens. But God, I thank you that this morning we can suffer, God, whatever it is that we're going through, knowing that Jesus, you, you endured it for a greater for a greater reason, God, there was a, a, a purpose, a meaning to it. And because of that, Lord, our suffering has a meaning. And we also can suffer in hope because of what you've done. Because of what you've done, not just is there trouble in the, this world, but God, we can take hope knowing that you've overcome it. You have overcome it. So this morning, God, as we, we wrap up our time together, God, we do this by, by looking to you. God, I pray for the person, Lord, who's going through it right now and questioning, God, whether or not you really are good. Lord, I pray that this morning, God, if nothing else, this morning will have been a reminder that, yes, you are good. You are a God who steps down into this messy, broken world, even though you didn't have to, and you choose to suffer for your name's sake, God, and for our sake. And may that bring great encouragement and great hope this morning, I pray. In your name, Jesus, amen. So this morning, as we take part in communion, up at the front here, we have a couple different things. We've got some crackers, and we've got some little cups with juice in them. And the crackers are, these are just, these are symbols of, of, what Je of, of Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. The crackers symbolize his, his broken body. Um, we don't believe that there's anything magical that happens when you put that cracker in your mouth. It's, 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 a, it's, it's simply a symbol of his body that was broken for you and for me. And as we eat that, and as it breaks in our mouths, we're reminded of his body that was broken for us. And then we have these cups of, of grape juice. And again, there's nothing magical about them. We, we, these are a symbol. They're a symbol of his blood that, that ran for you and for me so that we could have life. Because he died, we can have life and life to the full. And so as the worship team leads us in this song, we're not, we're not gonna have that one moment where we all take it together. I'm just gonna invite you during this song at, at any moment to just come and grab a cracker and a juice. Um, you could have been a part of our church for 10 years. This might be your very first Sunday here. You're all invited. It doesn't matter. You're all invited to be a part of it. You watching at home, 
Um, I encourage you to go grab some juice and bread or crackers, whatever you've got around and, 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 and take part in this with us. But um, as we do this last song together here, I just encourage you to, to come, grab it, take it back to your seat and just have a moment with Jesus where you say, Jesus, thank you for what you suffered for me. Help me to go through pain and suffering like you. Help me, Jesus. So would you stand with me as we sing this, this song? Let's come and partake together.